Welcome to a very special episode of the Streamline podcast. This episode was recorded live at the Hilton Austin during the CD Baby DIY Musician Conference. This recording is a live presentation by myself and George Goodrich, the founder of Playlist Push. Together, we spoke with the audience about how you can create your stream team. I hope you enjoy this live recording from the CD Baby DIY Musician Conference. Is this thing on? Check, check. They didn't give us an MC, so I guess uh, we get to introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm George Goodrich, uh, founder of Playlist Push. And I'm Mike Warner, founder of Work Hard, Playlist Hard. Cool, so what are we covering today, Mike? First, we want to give you a little bit of an introduction into ourselves and how we got started and what got us to where we are today. But then we're going to get into some key takeaways. And George, what are we going to get into after that? Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to cover how to build your stream team. Um, and our goal with this presentation is just for everyone to be able to leave uh, this panel and take action and know exactly what to do straight away. So we're going to get into some detail, but we're also going to leave plenty of time for questions. So Plenty of time for questions, absolutely. Yeah, so Mike, give us, uh, give us, give us your background. How would you... Uh, get into the uh, streaming game. I always say I'm going to give the short version, but it never ends up being short. So if I'm talking too much, just cut me off. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Music lover from a young age. Could never play an instrument to save my life. Still can't, I'll be honest. Uh, when I was 18 in Australia, in case you couldn't pick the accent, I was able to go out to various nightclubs and engage in the nightly activities. I enjoyed it and I realized very quickly that I was paying a lot of attention to the DJs and so I got talking to them and I said, I want to know how you do what you do, can I watch? And they let me watch. So I started to learn how to be a DJ. I did a course called DJ MC Bootcamp, which sounds intense, but in all honesty, it was two four-hour sessions you know, on a weekend in a five-star hotel. There was no push-ups and it was... Uh, that gave me the basics that I needed, beat matching, uh, talking on a microphone, believe it or not, and uh, a few other things. Uh, from there, I went in and started giving my time at local venues, basically almost charity DJ work, uh, just so I could get the experience and have other people watching over me. From there, I realized that I could only play so many gigs in my local town. Nobody wanted to book me to come play interstate because I played good music. So I decided I need to create music. I did a course at SAE, the School of Audio Engineering. It was a short course, a beginner's guide to electronic music production. It would have been about a 10-week course, did that. That gave me the basics. I was able to start getting these ideas I had in my head and creating them. They were still very rough. And what I found was that there was a fellow DJ producer who was an audio engineer, had amazing ears, knew how to play keys, knew how to do all the things that I couldn't do. So we started working together. And between us, we were able to get these songs to that level where we were signing them to labels. And from there, we, we kept pushing our music out. And I guess we'll get, we'll get back to that a little bit later, but I want to hand it over to George and let him give you a bit of an introduction as to where he started. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, my story's kind of strange. So uh, I lived in Los Angeles in like 2013, and that was when I decided I wanted to work in music. I would go to festivals and go to shows, and 
I was always trying to figure out like, who was running uh, the event, like who was behind the scenes, who was in charge. And uh, I went from being obsessed with the music to being obsessed with the operation and like, who was actually putting these events on. Um, so I, uh, the private club I worked at, there was a lot of uh, executives, um, people that worked in music, agents, and things like that. And I, a lot of people that worked there, you know, they ask members for jobs and things like that straight away. And instead of asking for an internship, uh, of all places, I moved to Australia, uh, to the other side of the world. And um, I just, I liked a lot of bands that were coming out of Australia. So the grand plan was to move there, uh, find some indie bands, and then hopefully bring them back to the States and break them there. Um, so I've worked, uh, moved to Australia in 2014. Um, just started applying for jobs, got a job at a, a small venue, um, book, booking shows, so I had no uh, hire fee on Sundays. So uh, I just went on uh, Gumtree, which is basically the Australian equivalent of Craigslist, found a bunch of DJs that wanted to play that were from the UK, um, and just started throwing my own parties. Uh, from that, I volunteered at radio stations, um, started managing a few indie bands, uh, eventually, uh, I had to leave Australia, um, but had a friend from LA that had moved to Amsterdam. So I moved to Amsterdam, uh, and then I started getting into uh, technology and, and startups, and that interested me a lot more than just managing artists, which I think is super tough. So anyone that's a manager, props to you, because it's not an easy job. Um, met my co-founder there, uh, Ludo Helder. He uh, had a website built called Demo Drop, uh, which was basically a way for uh, up-and-coming producers to send their music to uh, larger DJs and producers. So you could send your song to Martin Garrix. If he downloaded it, other people could see that. Uh, it was really tough to monetize. It was a very young user base because it was mainly dance music. Um, so we eventually, I had to leave Amsterdam I uh, moved back to LA, started working for a uh, music startup, and our main thing was SoundCloud monetization. So an artist would sign on to our network, um, we would take 30%, they would get 70%. Eventually, we were taking all these artists on uh, SoundCloud and distributing them to Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, pretty quickly, uh, they started getting picked up on huge Spotify playlists. I mean, kids that were just making music uh, in their bedroom, went from making no money to making five to 10 grand a month uh, to locking in huge uh, label deals. Um, so I was like, wow, this is kind of where things are going. There's a huge opportunity here. Uh, my friend Alex runs an Amazon business. He turned me on to Amazon. He said, hey, you should write uh, an ebook and put it on Amazon. So I wrote an ebook called How to Use Spotify Playlist to Launch Your Career in Music. Um, that was January 2017, I believe. Um, and at the end of the book, I had an artist assessment. So if you read the book, you could call me. We could get on a call. And I really didn't have any plans to turn into a business or, or a course or anything like that at the time. Uh, I just kind of wanted to take the temperature on what artists were paying attention to, uh, what they thought was important. Uh, and I started hearing a lot of the same things. So there was companies that were doing what Playlist Push does now, but they just weren't doing it in a transparent way. Um, and, you know, people were getting very weak results. So I talked to Ludo. I said, hey, let's build something um, super lean. I think we can do this. 
so it started as an email system, and we had like five curators and campaigns were like $20. So the song would just go to all the curators. Uh, if they added the song, we emailed the artist back, and that's how it started. And that was uh, over two years ago in July. Um, now we have over 800 curators on the platform. Um, we've ran over 7,000 campaigns, and we've, I think, over 60,000 songs have been added to playlists through Playlist Push. Um, so that's kind of, that's my story. That's my background. But um, let's rewind it back a little bit, and let's go back to you, Mike, and when you first got on Spotify, like, take us down to, like, the first stream or breaking out of that dreaded uh, under 1,000 mark. Like, tell, tell us that story. Because I think a lot of this stuff, it, it, everyone's like, oh, I need to get on this huge playlist. But really, it's the small, scrappy, day-to-day -day work that you do that really builds the foundation for, for where you are now. So start us off with that. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's really important. We've all been there. Everyone's there at some point. When they first get their music onto any platform, there's zero streams, zero followers, zero listeners. We were on Spotify, and for a very long time with our music, we were under 1,000, which meant we didn't get an actual number of how many streams we had. One day we got to 1,002, and we got really excited because we went, okay, we know that there's people that have actually heard our music out there. And that started to give us hope. Even though that number was very small, we looked at that and we went, there's people out there that are listening somewhere. We need to find them. We need to reach more of them. And we need to, we need to do this. I started going back to the record labels at the time. And this was in the early stages of Spotify. And to give you and an what, idea... What year was this, Mike, just for context? This would have been around 2012. And just to give you an idea, when Spotify first launched in Australia, you could DM them on Twitter and you could send them a song. That's unheard of now. Uh, with 40,000 songs on average being released every day, their Twitter would just be blowing up. But back then, you could do that. So we were Australian artists. I was living in Australia at the time. I would slide into their DMs, as, as you say, and send them a track. And we released an album. And I just went, you know what? I'm going to see what happens here. We've got this album coming out. I'm going to send it to them and see what happens. The album came out the next week. It was on the main page of Spotify Australia in the new releases section. Not a song, but the entire album. And that was it. From that point, I went, okay, we're doing this on our own. And we went independent. And we realized how easy it actually is to get your music out, thanks to, of course, services like CD Baby. Uh, there's many distributors out there that can do this for you. Um, so we did that, we put, out, we put out our music, and I realized that after we would release a track and we would send it to Spotify, which you could still do at the time, we would then be stuck. We would just sit back and go, what do we do now? And so I started looking on Spotify at artists similar to us by going to the About page and looking at Discovered On and looking at these playlists and seeing how many unique monthly listeners these artists were getting. And as I started to click on these playlists, I noticed that not all of them were curated by Spotify editorial. And I would see these names and I would see these pictures, somebody with their cat or something like that. And um, I realized these are just regular people that have playlists that they've made public and they're making a difference. They're, these artists are getting noticed on these playlists. The numbers may not be massive, but I want to pay attention. So 
I started searching their names in Google, looking for their public social media profiles. Now, public is a key word here. I wasn't going to their personal Facebooks and things like that. If they had a Twitter or an Instagram or even Snapchat that was public, I would hit them up. Um, and from there, you know, I would reach out to maybe 100 people a day at some point because I had the time. I was unemployed. I'd just moved to the US and nobody wanted to hire an immigrant yet. So I would be reaching out to all these curators that I'd found and just saying, hey, I found your playlist and I just want to know what's the best way to submit music to you? Do you have a process? And that's it. No links, no additional information, anything. If they responded, then the conversation would continue. And a lot of the time they would respond really positively. They would come back and say, I only like getting submissions by Twitter and I only check my submissions on Tuesdays. So I would start this spreadsheet and I would, take tra I would keep track of all of these different curators and I would work down it and I would go, okay, who do I hit up on Monday? Who do I hit up Tuesday? And where? And if they said, only send it to me on MSN, um, MSN. I'm not that old. <laughs> Shit. Um, you know, if I said, only send it to me on Facebook Messenger, I would copy a link to their Facebook page so I knew exactly where to go as I worked down this list. And it was almost like a checklist. And it really wasn't that hard. And as people started to support our music, I would have our go-to list that I would go back to each time and I would reward those curators and I hope they saw it the same way by sending them our music again and sending it maybe one week before release and saying here's a private link so you can check it out, here's the Spotify URL for when it goes live and um, I just wanted you to hear it first because we appreciate you. And the amount of feedback that we got from that and the amount of support was overwhelming. And with each release, we'd still reach out to other curators that have never supported us before. And over time, this just kept growing and growing and growing. And I realized that there's so many artists out there that don't know this. They don't even know the basics. And what happened was I started writing these really detailed emails. Friends would keep asking me, hey, why does your Spotify profile look so good? I go, what do you mean? It's just a picture of us. And they go, no, 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 you've got a lot of information on there. It looks, it looks like you've spent some time on it. And I go, we just uploaded our bio. Where do you do that? Spotify for artists? It's free? You got photos on there? Yeah, just uploaded them. Um, one thing that I always tell an artist, now, if I hear somebody's song, it doesn't matter how I hear it, if they send it to me on Twitter or Instagram, or if they get my email and they catch me on a good day where it just hits the right part in my inbox and I get to it. Um, and I do try and get back to every email, by the way. But however that song gets to me, or if a friend plays it to me, or Discover Weekly shows it to me, if I hear a song I like, I go directly to that artist's profile. Regardless of how many listeners they have, how many followers they have, if I like the song, I'll add it. But what I do is I look for opportunities for that artist. So if I go to their profile and I go to the About page and I don't see a link to their Twitter, their Facebook, their Instagram, I'm going to tell them to do that. And I'm going to say, I would have followed you on Twitter because you seem like a funny guy or a funny lady and I want to hear more about you. I wish there was a bio. I'd love to know where you're from. I'd love to know a bit more about your story. You know, that information is there. It's, you know, the about page is like your own personal website where you can link to other places that you are. So 
I, every time I come across a new song from an artist, I go, look, you've already got music on Spotify, on Apple Music, on any of these platforms. You need to go on there and show people that it's a home. When they come to you, they can find out this information and they can find you in other places because following you on Spotify is cool, but if they follow you on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook as well, then you've captured them in multiple ways and they may be scrolling Instagram and you hit them with a new video of your song and that could be what leads them back to your, back to your page on Spotify that week. And um, so sending these detailed emails out with all of these tips and advice, they got really detailed to the point where people actually said to me, you should write a book. And I've got to give credit to George for really giving me the support as well and uh, being such a good sport after he'd already put out a book um, to, to not only encourage me but actually help me with the process. Um, but once, once the book came out, I realized that there's just so much more that happens on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's why coming to events like this is great because, I mean, just in the last week alone, I mean, if you're a podcaster, Spotify for podcasters is now out of beta. Anyone can go on there and add your podcast to Spotify within hours, sometimes minutes. Apple Music for Artists is out of beta. There's an iOS app you can download on your phone. You can see all your... All your, all your stats right there. You can see playlists you've been added to, how many streams you're getting on Apple Music on those playlists. You can see your most popular songs by cities, by countries. Like All of this data that you've got available to you now is just, a lot of people are just overwhelmed, but at the same time they're excited because they go, instead of just putting out a song and going, oh, I wonder how it's doing, we can actually track that now. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And you know, the first part of building your stream team is making sure you're dialed, making sure your profile is set up and completely optimized, right? Because I mean, that's what they look at. You have your one chance to send your music to anyone and they're like, all right, does this guy take his career seriously or is it just a hobby? And that's kind of the big difference for you, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I look at it and I go, you got your music on a Spotify somehow, whether it was a label at the time, whether it was CD Baby, somehow that music got onto Spotify. It didn't just magically appear there. So with CD Baby, you go on and you get access to Spotify for Artists or Apple Music for Artists through your dashboard, and that helps you to get to that next step. Sometimes you can expedite the process with some of these as well. Uh, but I always say it takes five, 10 minutes, even if your bio is two sentences right now and somebody wrote it for you. At least it shows that you've touched that profile, that you've been there. Because when I go to somebody's about tab and I see no bio, no photos, no links, I go, how do I reach them and tell them I've added their song for one, give them some encouragement, yeah. but also, I don't know anything about them. I, I, I want to know more, I want to follow you, I want to follow your journey. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think um, you know the the next piece of your stream team, and I, I think it's something that's extremely overlooked, is like your direct network, the people that you know, your relatives, your friends, your brothers, basically anyone that has any kind of premium streaming account. Make it easy for them to listen to your music and to stream your music continuously. It's called streaming, right? A stream never stops. It keeps mm -hmm. going. So don't just try to get these petty streams from your family members. You know, have them listening to your music every day if you can. I think that's huge. 
that's a big part of it. I know Mike he used to he would go around at parties and he would grab people's phones. You want to tell that story? <laughs> you got to tell it anyway. I was I mean I am shameless. I, that hasn't changed, but I would be at a party and I would be talking to someone I know, not a stranger, and I would for some reason I would be holding their phone or the, you know they would let me borrow their phone. Spotify would be open. I'd go in there and hit follow. Two weeks later, a new song comes out, and I'd get a text from them. Oh, hey, I remember you telling me you made music. Man, it appeared on my release radar this week. Oh, really? And, and you know, how dope is this? I went into Spotify, and I'm following you. I'm like, man, that's cool. You know, I appreciate the follow. No shame. You know, and that's where our first followers came from. I mean, they, you know, family and friends, they would have followed me anyway, but I just made it easy. I... Yeah, and I think the coolest thing about it is, you know, two months or months down the road, you know, they would probably have, I don't know, 10 beers because Aussies like to drink and, you know, f forget about the whole interaction. And then three months later, uh, Mike's record pops up and, hey, have you, have you seen this new record? And then, you know, they text Mike and he, he has that constant engagement. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, don't be looking for this massive fan base that's online, like, look at the people around you and how you can, you know, tap into their, their phone and um, get, get plugged in. <laughs> and don't say Mike told you to do it. Yeah. But, you know, adding on to that, yeah, you do have support within your immediate network, and, I mean, just looking in this room here, there's going to be a number of artists that would be creating music that's similar to each other, and uh, we'll get into collaboration in a, in a minute, but one of the most basic things that you've probably heard is obviously there's two playlists you create when you first get onto these DSPs. Number one is an artist playlist where you add all of your catalog, every original song that you've created, you've released. And the reason you do that is you're in control of the order. You put your strongest song up the top and you know what songs you want people to hear and what order they're going to listen to them in. What happens when somebody like myself I go and I hear your song, I go to your profile. If I see an artist playlist, I'm gonna go there and hit play. And that could turn from one stream into me listening to your entire catalog, or at least a good chunk of that catalog if I like your music. So one stream could lead to 15 streams if you have 15 songs. And I've discovered multiple songs in your catalog, and while I'm listening, I can simply drag them into playlists as I, as I see fit, and I do. Uh, I always say music is new to me the second I hear it. It doesn't matter if it came out two years ago or five years ago or yesterday. It's new to me the second I hear it. And that's why I spend so much time hanging out on playlists like Discover Weekly as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And what you brought up about being in control, like the, there's, you know, it's, it's up to chance if you're going to add it to a huge playlist, right? That's not a guarantee but there's a lot of things that you can control that we've seen that works well. One of them being catalog size. So, I mean, there's people we've worked with and they've released one single per year. So, you know, if someone listens to your song, they like it, they go to your profile, okay, this guy doesn't have that much music to listen to, it's gonna to be tough to get the engagement. And the thing that really blows my mind is we're living in a world now where there's people that have these huge social media followings that are putting out music that's not necessarily amazing. And then I have all these amazing musician friends and they're like sitting on music and they're afraid to put it out. So, 
get that music out there and start building that catalog because that's something you can control. Uh, the other piece of that is sound quality. Uh, we did a, an interview or a curator interview series at Playlist Push and we interviewed uh, a good amount of curators and the number one thing all of them said they pay attention to with a song is sound quality. So making sure that's completely dialed and not leaving anything up to chance. Um, I even think you can get songs mastered for Spotify specifically and different services. Um, so that would be one. I mean, that, there's others as well uh, that you have complete control over, right? Yeah, that's it. And that leads me to the second playlist that you would create and I always suggest is a playlist of music from artists similar to you so that obviously your music fits within this playlist is important but you're also adding artists that you would like to be compared to perhaps or re related to and what you do is you start adding artists in there and I always say start local you know reach out to local artists in your in your group and um, what was that? Is that a dog? <laughs> What's your oh, dog's that's name? That's adorable. Uh, nice to meet you. Can we just get the dog up here? No, no. No, no dogs. Okay, re reaching out to do dog artists. I'm sorry, I'm dogs on the brain. Dogs now. for artists? What? No. Reaching out to similar artists, getting them on your playlist, and most importantly, telling them, saying, I've got a playlist. Look, it's not that big right now, but I'm adding local artists on here. Check it out. Give it a listen. You might discover somebody as well. Let's help each other out. And then as that grows, what we've seen happen with these kinds of playlists is that artists might start contacting each other and saying, hey, I was looking for a support act for my gig next week. I think you'd be great. Would you like to come along? And then we know what happens from there. You start supporting each other and then you start potentially touring together. Um, but I always say collaboration is key. You've got that playlist. You've got 60 artists in your local community all sharing that playlist, all stoked that they've got a song on there, all listening to it because it's well curated, the music is on point, and it slowly grows from there. And what happens next is as those numbers start to grow over time, you add songs from maybe some bigger, more established artists as well. And sometimes you actually get a shout out from them. Then they don't, they're not shy. I mean, Instagram stories, I've, some of these artists are doing 25 swipe up stories a day and hitting thousands of people. And Twitter, it's easy enough to retweet uh, as well and just give you a like, which still shows up in a lot of people's feeds. So don't be shy to tag an artist. I mean, nobody's gonna get mad that you added them to your playlist, regardless of the size. They're just gonna say thank you. Or, or say nothing. Either, either is fine. Yeah, right. So let's let's dive into that. Let's get into you know finding curators, interacting with them, that whole kind of end-to-end -end process. Because I I feel like a, a lot of what we've seen is so much of it has just become transactional. You know, it's just oh hey, uh, I'm an artist. Can you add my song to your playlist? Whereas, you know, it's my experience that most relationships in music it becomes from an actual real human interaction, right? So, I mean, you've flown around the world, you've gone to South by Southwest to meet up with these people and get some FaceTime with them. So I think that's huge, right? And I think that's something that's, that's overlooked. Yeah, look, you know, I'll, I'll elaborate on that. So there's a website called IndieMono, IndieMono.com. Uh, 
I'm so used to spelling stuff out with this accent, but I think we know how to spell indie and mono, so we're good. Uh, IndieMono.com and Carlos is the solo curator and founder of Indie Mono. They started in about 2012, so they got onto Spotify in the very early days and achieved tastemaker status very quickly. And what that meant is they were hitting the top of the search results in the early stages before people were realizing they could make their playlist public. And they've maintained all of those well, a number of those followers through their tight curation. And their curation is strong. They, they will say no. They, they don't take any outside influence whatsoever. I mean, I've sent them tracks, and now they're my friends, and they'll say, thanks for sending it, but no. <laughs> okay, that's cool. But we had one song in particular that they supported, and it was probably the first time we ever saw a significant jump in streams. And I submitted on their website, the same as anyone else, and then what happened is I went on Twitter and I, I said thank you, and then we got a DM, and then conversation started. And when this first happened, I, and we started to see our next payment, and it was, it was quite nice, it was one of the biggest payments we'd seen, I said to Carlos, I said, you know, thanking you is one thing, but I want to meet you. I want to take you out to dinner or have a drink or whatever, and I'm going to make that happen. And we kept in touch, you know, just through casual messages and things like that, and just kept submitting music on the website. Maybe one year later, I got a message from him saying, Mike, I'm coming to South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And I said, okay, I'm booking flights. And I flew over here literally for one night. I ended up being stuck in Orange County in uh, John Wayne Airport for 14 hours due to flight delays. Got in here at about one o'clock in the morning, uh, took Carlos out for those promised beers. And the next day I flew back home because that's all I could afford to do. But it was important to me to do that. I didn't expect him to do anything more for me after that, but I just knew how important it was for me to say thank you and show these curators that appreciation. And that has always kind of led to me making sure that I always thank curators, no matter who they are, no matter what they did. Even if I don't know how to reach them directly, I can at least just post on Twitter and say, check out this playlist, it's awesome. This curator added me. And if I don't tag them, they may still see that one day. And uh, there's just, there's not enough people that are doing that right now. You know, they get added to a playlist and they go, cool. I go, even if you don't know how to tag, you, you don't know their details to tag them, say thank you because they're probably looking for that and they're going to see it. Yeah. Yeah, this, that's a good point. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, there's still a huge opportunity to get onto Spotify, build a fan base and... Um, do it in this kind of scrappy way, but you know this is something that like might not exist a year from now, right? It's all up to changes in the platform and different things that that can happen. Um, and you know the other part of that is there's a lot of artists like everyone has different goals, right? Not everyone wants to just like get in a van and go tour around the country. Like a, some of the artists we work with, um, you know, they're just straight up producers. Like uh, my friend Jeff, his artist name is Lael. Uh, you know, he has a few kids. He wants to just go produce beats, upload them to his profile. And that's basically, you know, your monthly listeners is like your music business 
credit score, mm. right? So he uses that to uh, find artists that he works with, and he's doing very well. Um, same thing with the artists like Lance Allen. He's an instrumental guitarist. Um, you know, how is Lance going to make most of his money? Is it cranking out tunes and uploading them to Spotify? Or is it going around playing these small gigs in like coffee shops and cafes? So, uh, you know, ultimately it's, it's up to you what you want to do. Uh, but, you know, the opportunity is there. If you just focus on Spotify, a lot of other doors will open. Will open. Um, speaking of that, there's a guy, uh, Garrett T. Caps. He was on a, a South by Southwest. Yeah, we, we, we did an interview with him, but uh, he was on a South by Southwest playlist. And Brian Kopelman, who's the showrunner for the show Billions. Does anyone know that show? It's a great show. Um, yeah, he heard his song and liked it and said, hey, I want to put your song uh, on my show. And it was like the intro uh, to, I think, one of the seasons of his show. Yeah. So you never know who you're going to reach, too, with getting on these playlists. Yeah, and I noticed you started to talk about the different types of artists, and not everyone has the same dreams and, and the same goals. Um, we, were, we were going to discuss the different types of artists that are out there, so you know, obviously there's the homebodies, there's the ones that just like to have a recording studio at home, a recording studio at home, create their own music, release it, and make enough money that they can continue creating music. They could be a stay-at-home parent, or they could just not be interested in touring, and they, they like to just keep to themselves. That's totally fine. Then there's the ones that want to go out on tour, and they want to be living out of a suitcase and touring the world, which is cool as well. And then there's the ones that want to create for someone else, the producers, the sometimes the unsung heroes. And they are starting to get their time in the spotlight now as well. So maybe you could elaborate a little on some of those and maybe some examples there as well. Yeah, um, one is Miles Lloyd. So he's an, an R&B hip-hop producer. And, you know, we can also get into what's the best way to start, right? Should you just start uploading albums? Uh, should you start with singles? What does Spotify think more important? But Miles has, you know, consistently released... the six or seven singles for the past year and a half. Uh, he's got a nice audience. He's been on official playlists. Uh, he's from Montreal, so he gets a lot of love from Spotify Canada, which is great. Um, but now he's getting to, ready to release a full-length project because he has built that audience. And I think that's an important thing to touch on, too, is like, what is the best way to start out? And does Spotify rank albums over uh, singles? You're putting me on the spot there. <laughs> I, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Spotify. I'm going to speak on behalf of experience. Yeah. My advice is, I love, well, it's not even advice. I love albums. I love the experience of an album. I love the fact that it takes you on a journey. It's ordered the way the artist intended. I love the interludes in the middle. I just love listening from start to finish, and I still do. What I'm finding now is that releasing singles in the lead up to an album seems to be the best game plan, at least for myself and for artists within my group. Uh, what that means is if you're working towards an album, every time you release a track, just put it out. You know, if you have, you could release 10 tracks in a year and you've got that consistency where every four to six weeks you've got a song coming out People know that you're busy, you're active, you're doing stuff. Whereas if there's just this right. downtime between albums, they go, where'd they go? Oh, the, oh, there they are. 
And sometimes they'll just listen to two tracks on your album and move on. Not everybody is an album junkie. Um, so I always say release those tracks as you finish them. And then what happens is when the album is ready, you have the ISRC, the International Standard Recording Code, that's attached to each song. So you release the album, and you could look at it like a compilation. You're including those previous release songs, plus a few new songs, perhaps. And then when you go on to your distributor and you upload the album, you make sure that you use the existing ISRC for each song. And there's a number of benefits to that. Uh, one of them is, let's say, your Spotify Top 10. If you don't use the same ISRC, you're going to have a song show twice in your top 10. Mm -hmm. You know, at number one, number five. What's even worse is number one has 200,000 streams, number five has two streams. So by using the same ISRC, it matches all of the times that song has been released and combines those streams into one. So I did this with my project, and I'll say the name if anybody wants to look it up later, but it's Date Night or datenightmusic.com. And when we released our album, We'd already released some songs that had, I think one song had about 400,000 streams. And that happened to be the second track on our album. And we'd released a number of other tracks as singles before. The day our album came out, people were looking at it and going, what, what's going on? This, the, this track's got 400,000 streams. This one's got 100,000 already. It just came out. I go, yeah, we just attached the ISRC to each track when we distributed it. And... So it looks, it looks cleaner because you don't have multiple versions of the same song. All the stream counts merge. So if somebody goes back to those singles and looks at the track, the stream counts are the same as they are on the album. The other thing to keep in mind with ISRC is if you, perhaps you change distributor or you, something happens and you, your song is getting taken down, if you re-upload it and use the same ISRC, all those playlist placements will stay. So you don't have to worry about your song getting ripped out of those playlists as well, because this actually happened to us. We were added to a quite large uh, playlist by Spotify Mexico, and we had a spelling mistake in our song title, and we ripped it down quickly and put it back up with the same ISRC, and two days later, when the song was live again, we appeared back in that playlist in the same position. So we didn't lose anything, and we corrected our embarrassing mistake because we're OCD. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about other streaming platforms for a little bit. Obviously, Spotify is, in my opinion, the easiest to get into and you know, start building a fan base straight away. Um, but you know, Amazon's coming up. They just launched Rap Rotation, which is like their competitor to Rap Caviar. I'm getting ads for that all over the place. Um, there's some really weird ones that you know about, like Cobas. So maybe touch on those. But. You just want me to try and say them. Now, I'm going to say these wrong, but that's okay. Hopefully, you can still work them out. But, you know, there's, like George said, you know, Spotify, most people here know Spotify and they know Apple Music, they know of Amazon Music. But there are other services out there that cater to different people or different markets. Uh, you know, so. Before Spotify came to India, GeoSaving was already there. And they're still bigger right now. And you can still go on there and get access to artist insights and things like that as well. They did have a direct upload platform at one point too. Uh, and all of these other DSPs out there, 
at the very least, you can go on there and upload an artist's image, upload a bio, and have a home on them as well. Even if you're not able to pick it up and stream it yourself, at least for anyone in those countries, they can get on there and they can see you. I mean, Deezer is in France, of course, and then uh, Angami in the Middle East, and once again, don't laugh at my pronunciation. But all of these services, there's just... And you mentioned Cobuzz. Cobuzz is in the US now. They've launched here. It's a high-fidelity streaming service. Uh, it's still early, early stages, but you could at the very least check that your music is on there and go on and see if you can get an image uploaded and have some kind of a presence on there. But just because you don't listen to music on Cobuzz or any of these other DSPs doesn't mean you shouldn't spend some time paying attention to them because other people could be discovering you on there, enjoying your music on there. So just have a presence, have a home on them as yeah, well. Definitely. And don't they have uh, a deal with smart TVs or the, they give away like a, a free subscription? Yeah, I mean, a number of the DSPs do that. I know Sprint with Tidal were giving people a subscription, which means, of course, yeah, I'm going to use it. Absolutely. I'm going to try it out. Wouldn't you like to be there featured on those playlists or if somebody goes there and goes to your profile, at least have a presence on there? Uh, and yeah, Cobuzz, uh, if you buy a, like a Yamaha receiver for your home theater, uh, you, you may get a subscription with that as well and it's integrated. So people that are audiophiles right. and like their higher resolution audio may choose that service. Nice. Um yeah, I want to um, just talk about uh, crushing it in your niche. So a lot of the artists we work with and the ones we see do well, they have a very kind of narrow focus with their music. Like w when we were kids, it was like rock, uh, hip-hop, and R&B. You know, there's only a few genres. Now, I think, how many genres are on Spotify? It's getting... It changes every day, and I always check everynoise.com for the latest number. Uh, I believe it was getting close to 4,000 different genres, and there's some crazy shit on there. I mean, there's like pirate metal and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's crazy, bro, but... Bro step. Bro yeah, step. Bro step. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of the... Bro step. There's artists we work with, whether it's like emo rap or lo-fi beach... Lo-fi beats, which is becoming a huge thing, uh, they do extremely well because they have a very narrow audience, and you know it's it's easy to tap into that on Spotify. So you know I, I would think about you know your story or your brand as an artist, and how can you really drill down and just you know target those those smaller audiences and and build off of that. Was that a question? Huh? <laughs> it, it's, it sounded like you kind of answered that in the same time. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what would you say your niche is with, with Date Night? Like, wh what are you looking for um, based off of the what's in your music? And then how do you translate that into, you know, finding a playlist or a curator who, who might be into your music? Like, how, how can you kind of drill that down? I mean, for us, we have our own sound. We're not defined by a genre. You know, we... We have, on, on our album, we have a, a liquid drum and bass track. We have a house track. We have a neo-soul track. We've, you know, we, we did a really cool track with Chris Robley as well, um, you know, and that was completely different to our previous track. We, 
we just enjoy putting our sound on anything and creating what we feel like. I mean, every time we start a session in Ableton, it's crazy. It could start at 80 beats per minute. It could end up at 120. It, it could go faster. It could go slower. And, um, you know, that's all part of the fun. I mean, our... our so, so you're creating different types of music, but with each song, you're going based off of that song, and then you're hunting down the correct people for, for that Yeah, uh, that's audience. it. Yeah, and I mean, we don't create our song thinking about a playlist, just to put that out there. We just create this music, and there's, there's a playlist out there for pretty much any kind of music now, as we just mentioned with all those different genres. So don't feel like, you know, you want to switch up your style just to get on a playlist. Eventually, it's going to get to the point where there's going to be a home for every type of music and every type of sound on there. I mean... You know, just keep doing your thing and definitely don't change that. But should we talk about some of the things that we've noticed with, uh, you know, the, the length of a song and things like that and how that could potentially catch your interest as a curator, George? The, the link to the song? Yeah, how long is the song? Oh, Duration, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, duration. Um, this bloody yeah, accent. I think it's, uh, it's, it's super important, and it, it obviously depends on the type of music. There's a lot of hip-hop artists that are creating songs that are like a minute and 30 seconds. Um, there's obviously like longer techno and instrumental songs that are up to 10 minutes. Um, so obviously on a lot of these platforms, it's better to have shorter songs, but that doesn't mean you need to throw out songs and cut and chop it down and, and make a Spotify version. I mean, I, I think it helps. Um, but I think the biggest thing, uh, that we've noticed, and this is like back to the curator point of view is, you know, the first 10 to 15 seconds is crucial. Like I think 29% of skips take place in the first 10 to 15 seconds. So either the song is not starting or it just sucks straight away and they're not into it. Um, you can't control the second one, you can control the first one. Um, so I think it's, it's good to tighten that up and you know, catch them straight away if you can. Yeah, definitely. And grabbing attention is important because I'll admit it, I've got a short attention span. Uh, there are ways... And this is kind of hard to explain, but I'll gladly uh, share a link to how to do this after or something. But there is a way to manipulate the URL for a track on Spotify in particular, where at the end you put a hashtag and then a timestamp. So let's say the first minute of your song is not necessarily the part that you want people to listen to. At the end of that URL, you put a hashtag and then you know the number for the minutes, uh, column, number for the seconds and then when you send that to someone and they click on it it's going to skip directly to that point in the song oh, whether it's the chorus or the kick-ass guitar solo or whatever i mean uh i actually in my book shameless plug i i use the example of phil collins in the air tonight and getting exactly to the point where the drums kick in and so when people do that they go wow i just skipped the first two minutes and 41 seconds and got straight to the drums. That's insane. I didn't know I could do that. Um, I've had people use that when they send me a track, and I love it because I go, cool, you've showed me the best part of your track. You've got my attention. Now I can go back and listen to the entire song instead of just hearing the first five seconds and going, eh, I don't know yet. You know, I always like to give songs more than five seconds just to put that out there, but not everyone is as patient so give them the best part of your song first. Bam, right there. 
Yeah, and it, I think that goes back to, I've, I've heard people mention that, oh, yeah, you, you know, you can get on playlists, but you, you don't really gain any real fans from that. And I think that's just really direct relation to the song and how strong it is and the playlist, right? Like, your song can get on the radio. That doesn't mean, you know, everyone that's listening to hearing the song on the radio loves it, right? They might just listen to it. Okay, that was cool. Uh, and that's kind of how the playlist environment is. If the song's really good, it's going to break through. You're going to gain followers. You're going to gain interest. But I think, you know, that's a big part of it is, is really digging that out, um, figuring that part out. Yeah. And just adding on to that, I mean, I know that there's artists out there that are doing Spotify edits or streaming edits of their songs where they're basically cutting their songs short there's some great songs out there that should not be cut short. And by no means am I saying that you should completely change your song for streaming. But if you're able to have two versions on there, maybe a two and a half minute version, the equivalent of a radio edit without calling it that, and then an extended version, which would be more of an album, an album version perhaps, that's a good way to keep everyone happy. Because there are curators out there that will say, I like the song, but seven minutes? I don't know. If there was a shorter version, I'd add that. And so you could be missing out by not giving them that option. And then that way you've still created the song the way you originally intended. Your fans are still going to hear that. But for everyone else, they may get introduced to you through that shorter version. And another thing I say is if you've got a song that has a long intro, you know, you have a song that has an intro more than 30 seconds, of course, so it counts as a stream. Uh, why not cut that intro into a separate track? and make that an interlude on your album. So you could have an album that's 10 songs, but if you're actually cutting these long acoustic intros to your tracks, or maybe an acapella or something like that, cut it, make it a separate track. And what happens is if people listen to your entire album, that's an extra stream for each of those. And for the people that aren't interested, they're not going to skip. And if they do skip, they get to straight to the track anyway, because that's next. Yeah, I mean, speaking of cutting songs or, or doing edits, there's, a, there's an artist by the name of Coda the Friend, and he does something really interesting on YouTube. So what he'll do is he'll upload two-thirds of his song or about half of the song to YouTube, and then at the, the end card for the song is, hey, if you want to li listen to the whole song, go to Spotify. Um, and he's doing extremely well. And I think that's a really interesting kind of innovative way to take an audience that you might have already built on YouTube and slowly bleed them over into to Spotify. So, do you know anything about that? Or taking artists from YouTube and getting them on whatever streaming service that, that you're into? Or I mean, it's all in the links. You know, similar to what I said before on a Spotify profile on YouTube, if it's on your own channel, I'm going to go to About, and you can link to your website, your Twitter, your, you can link to your Spotify, your Apple Music, you can link me everywhere so that I can keep going and finding you where I prefer to listen moving forward. If you're uploaded to someone else's YouTube channel, they can still put the links in the description so that I can still find you. Absolutely. And it's, it's as simple as that. Have links. Make it easy for people to find you and keep finding you. It's funny. I always go on these little click trails when I find an artist I like, and yeah. they may just have their Twitter added, and I'll go to their Twitter, and then I'll click on the link, and it'll be linked to their song on all these different, stream, uh, all these different DSPs, and that's great. But 
then I have to Google search them and then I find their website and then I click Facebook and the link's wrong and it doesn't work. And then, you know, there's all, I, I've just spent five minutes trying to find everything I can to follow this person whose right. music I am, am falling in love with or, or at the very least liking enough to follow them. And, you know, it's just not that easy for me. So I say make it easy for people to find you and follow you no matter where they initially find you, which is like with those DSPs we mentioned before, if somebody in the Middle East finds you on Angami, wouldn't it be cool if they could click directly to your Twitter and follow you? Yeah, yeah. that's huge. Um, I think maybe we'll start taking some questions, uh, but also just just so you guys know, um, if you want the notes from the presentation, uh, you can just email tj at playlistpush.com. Uh, we'll send you a doc that has uh, all the links to the things we talked about uh, links to all of Mike's stuff. So just tj at playlistpush.com. Uh, just have the subject line be DIY, hashtag DIY musician uh, and shoot that over and, and TJ will, will send you an email back with the notes. Perfect, yeah. Let's take some questions, George. Nice. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Perfect. I'm getting mic'd up. Check. George, thank you guys again. Mike, thank you again. Um, so I live in the middle of nowhere in Guam. I have six uh, songs ready, and it was really interesting that you said, when the song is done, push it out. And I was like, well, how do I link it so that I don't have three songs of the same song? And you gave me the answers to that, which is great. So I want to be able to use your services. I'm not sure if your service is also like a service I can subscribe to. I've been looking at the website, too. But basically, I have the six songs. I'm trying to do all the photo content for it, a marketing plan just to release it. Um, so as someone who is a musician, how can I utilize your service uh, from Guam to help my music grow globally, specifically with like Playlist Push? Because it seems like you have a service that a musician can subscribe to or pay for. I'm not really sure. So if you can give me a step-by-step -step of how us as musicians can use that service to push yeah. our music outside of our local... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we have hundreds of curators all over the world, and they all own Spotify playlists. So what we'll do is you just apply for a campaign, and then we can help you. We'll ask you for a few similar artists. Uh, and then from that, we basically take their genres, scan all of the playlists in our network so we know exactly who the song should go to. Um, but you can also, you know, you can get in touch with me right after this. And, um, you know, we like working directly with people as much as we can and, you know, managing expectations. Um, and yeah, would love to help you get set up. And, you know, a lot of our curators uh, and the audience is in the U.S. Um, part of it's in Europe. So if you're looking to get your music in the U.S., it's, it's a great option. No, it's just a one-time fee. It's, the price is just based on uh, how many curators the song goes to. Kind of. Hey, thank you both. It's been very informational today. Um, this question is for Mike. Early on in the presentation today, you were talking about how you had made this list and you were reaching up to 100 curators uh, manually every day. And I thought that was amazing. And I have tried to do similar, but I always have a hard time um, trying to match the playlist curators' names on Spotify and finding them on Instagram. A lot of times it's, it's very different and they don't, um, as far, maybe I'm missing something, but I've never seen on these curator playlists, I only see their username, but not any links to their social media on Spotify. 
Um, so do you have any tips on, um, or just give some insight on how you were successful at that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a few ways that you can do it. One of them is if you go in Google and you paste the URL to that curator's playlist and type Twitter, you can see tweets where that playlist has been shared. And usually the first time that playlist is shared is by the curator. No one else is sharing it yet. So that's one way. Uh, there are a few other ways as well. Obviously, Google image search, you can match the image um, by pasting it in and doing a search, and it will match that image. So if it's, a, if it's a photo or a logo, then that's very unique, and that's going to be easy to find. There are services out there as well. Now, full disclosure, I am part of the team at Chartmetric, so I'm not trying to sneak a plug in here. They are sponsoring this conference as well, so I feel OK saying this. Hi, guys. Um, but Chartmetric, for example, you can go in there and you can see any artist and what playlists they've been added to. And from there, you can click along and it will show you a page with information about the playlist, the days of the week they add songs to that playlist, whether they favor songs by labels or independent, what genres they're looking for. And then you can click to the curator and if they have publicly available social media links, then they will be in there, not always but at least it's a head start, you know, and then you could go on there and go, okay, there's their Twitter. That helps. And what we're finding is some of them are going as far as actually going in and updating the links themselves so that they can direct people where they would like to be contacted. Yeah. Also, uh, to add to that, another good service for that is Spot on Track. Uh, spotontrack.com. Uh, it's basically it's just Spotify, so you can go in there, you can find playlists uh, that have followers in, in different genres, and uh, you know try to track down curators that way. And this this will all be in the the notes as well if you email TJ. I know we have been getting the time message for a few minutes now, Ooh. and I do see questions here, and I don't want to leave anybody hanging. So I'm thinking what we might do um, so that the next session can get set up. We may just move on somewhere nearby from here, maybe just outside, and we're happy to hang out and talk to you and take your questions in person as well. Does that sound good to you, George? Yeah, I think they have a table um, set up for us, so we can meet you guys there, and happy to answer everyone's questions. Yeah, Mike actually... Mike will have his books there, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. The book is called Work Hard, Playlist Hard. And that's my website as well, workhardplaylisthard.com. Just to, just to add to that question quickly as well, I don't have any services as such. The only way that you could potentially give me money is by purchasing the book, uh, which is $4 on Amazon, on Kindle, and $15 at Barnes & Noble and what everywhere else for the paperback. Um, but yeah, come, just come talk to me. Come say hi. I'd love to meet you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.